quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast, the podcast where we get abducted by aliens on an almost regular basis, Mm. but we never really tell anyone about it. Why? Because it's our little secret. Yeah, it's for us to know and for you guys to never find out. Speaking of which, you know who we are. We're your hosts. (laughs) I'm Noelle. And I'm Nicole. And this is Quite Unusual, the podcast where we... I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You guys know what the podcast is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know. Um, okay, can I tell you something that's bothering the shit out of me right now? Please do. Um, I broke my tooth. What? Yeah, I know. So Wait, you actually broke it? I, like, chipped it. Okay. And I can't stop touching it, and then I cut my tongue on it. What? Okay, this is the most ridiculous thing I'm going to tell you. And okay. I tell you a lot of ridiculous things. Okay. So I was in a meeting at work, a beautiful Zoom meeting where there was like 900 people and like, you know, you keep your, your microphone off and you just yeah. fuck around and like don't yes. get attention or whatever. Yeah. So was, was your video on? No. Okay, on. good. You gotta check that's the, the That's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. You gotta check the vibe first before you go like hard <laughs> video, right? I just don't sign on with video. Yeah. And then I just keep it off always. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's freeing. It's a power move, dude. So I'm on one of these meetings and I was playing with a bobby pin and I was biting it like. (laughs) (laughs) I really hope it picked that up. Absolutely. So I was like biting a bobby pin because I'm a fucking child. Yeah. And I bit it really hard and it like skipped off my lower tooth and hit the other tooth. And chipped your tooth? Yeah. It like pulled the enamel like. What? It's insane feeling. It's like super (laughs) sharp in the back. And I keep touching it. File it. I was going to with like a. a I've done it before. File. I've totally done it before. Really? Yeah, I chipped the side of one of my teeth, and it was very, very, very little. But I could yeah. like, because once you feel it in your mouth, it's like you just keep on. Tonguing you can't it. not touch it. Yeah, yeah. So I just like kept on tonguing it, and then like I was like, I don't want to go into the dentist. Like all he's gonna do is shave this one little sharp part. So yeah, I took like a metal file, and I just went like. Well, I'm gonna have to on my fucking tooth because I keep cutting my tongue. And, like, all my little taste buds at the tip of my tongue are swollen because I can't leave it alone. Where is it? It's at the it's front? Like, yeah, it's, like, in the front. Can you see it? You no, really see it. I can't see it at all. Sorry, guys. You, can, can you guys see? Can, can you guys you hear this? this? Can you hear this? <laughs> <laughs> Mouth noises. Mouth noises. Anyways, so that's my very interesting story, I guess. Um, About chipping your tooth on a bobby pin. Yeah, dude. I can't stop. I feel like also my speech impediment's like hitting hard because my tongue is kind of swollen. Does your tongue keep getting caught on your tooth? No, but I can't, I can't stop touching it. So I just keep like opening the wound and then, you know, drinking seltzer and it bubbles in it. How do you chip your tooth on a bobby t- pin? Are your teeth made of glass? Well, I'm also very old now. And I guess like human teeth weren't made to like live as long as like our lifespans are or whatever the fuck. Is that true? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> which is another thing. Okay. I want to talk to like yeah. Dr. Evolution or like whoever evolved us this way. Mm-hmm. Um, why the fuck do we get two sets of teeth, right? Great system. Two sets of teeth makes total sense. Yeah. But we get the ones that like last for <laughs> what? Five, seven years, right? Yeah. And then, um, and then the other set is supposed to last 70 years. That's a, you know what? I never actually thought of that. That's a good point. Why don't they fall out when we're like 30? 
and then regrow. Right? Like you get a fucking redo because you were a child. You (laughs) ate too many gummy bears. And now if you keep eating gummy bears, that's on you. You're old enough. You know better. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I have terrible teeth. So, I mean, I'm identifying with this. Yeah. It's fucking, I don't know who we talked to about that. But I got a fucking bone. I got a tooth to the pick. The fish that decided to walk. God damn you, slime mold, you beautiful one-celled organism. <laughs> oh, wait. They don't know about that. That's a Patreon-only episode. Oh, oh the slime mold. Oh, molds. if you guys want to yeah. learn what a slime mold is, join our Patreon because we just put yeah. out a pretty sick little episode. And you will get to know why we want one as a pet. Yeah, they're so cute. Um, I have a funny thing that um, actually a listener brought it up. So... We had a listener named Amy. She was commenting on our Catherine Knight episode, and I believe she's from Australia because she said that she laughed when uh, you said whiskey dick oh, yeah. <laughs> in the episode. Uh-huh. And she was like, I laughed because she said, here in Australia, we call it Foster's Flop. No shit, dude. <laughs> Foster's flop. Foster's flop. Oh my god! And I was like, "That is fucking awesome. That's so good." Because you know Foster's beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's amazing. I don't know which one's better, whiskey dick or Foster's flop. I think I'm going to have to pivot my whole lifestyle to Foster's flop. Yeah, and then I also get to explain what that means and how I run a very, very fun podcast with my bestie. <laughs> So it's like the perfect segue. People are yeah. gonna love it at bars. Oh, totally. When when a bar opens, I'm gonna tell everyone. You should name your bar Foster's Flop. I'm going to open a bar called Foster's Flop. Foster's Flop. Wow. But it got me thinking. So then, are there different terms? Because like, whiskey dick. Well, I guess whiskey's not an only an American thing. So I guess that could be. I don't even think it is an American thing. But like, I was thinking, do different countries have like? They're specific. They have to. <laughs> like France and like wine. Is there like a wine, wine wieners? <laughs> wine wiener? Yeah. Or um, uh, like Jamaica, else? like their rum. So what would that be? Uh, rum raisin. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what else? Um, champagne <laughs> and champagne France. Champagne shrinker. Spelled with a C-H. <laughs> Each region has a different term for it. It's only a champagne shrinker if your dick flops in the champagne region of France. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. That was just like, that cracked me up today. I read that message. She messaged us on, she messaged us on Facebook and oh. I was just cracking up. So good. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And if anyone else has a beautiful colloquialism about yes. dicks not working because you drink too much. We want to fucking yeah. know. We want to know all of them. And I, if I get 10 of them, if we get 10, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's going to be like a band tee. Yes. Yeah. I'm like a tour, joking. like have the tour, but uh-huh. if the tour is like the region and then like what they call whiskey yeah. dick. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fully. Fully. I'm going to call it the whiskey dick tour. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm going to call it the eat, pray, love tour. <laughs> <laughs> eat, pray, not so much love. <laughs> All right. Should we get to what we're talking about today? We probably should. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about Betty and Barney Hill. Mm. Not only the most famous abductees via Los Aliens, but also mm. characters on the Flintstones. Very true. Isn't that weird? That is weird. I, I didn't know. think of that. I know. Betty and and the Flintstones came out six years before 
Betty and Barney Hill's little event. For real? You I looked, looked it up. up. Because I was like, I'm not going crazy, right? Like, Betty yeah. and Barney are like a married couple on the Flintstones, yeah. right? And then I looked it up and it's a thing. What? What if they're pseudonyms? Oh my God. I don't know, man. And then I got like real conspiracy corner and we were out of um, aluminum foil, so I couldn't make a hat. I didn't know what to do. I just started wrapping like duct tape around my head because I'm like, it's shiny. It's going to reflect. That's why you have no hair. I know. It hurts so much, but it was worth it. Some brain's still intact. Totally worth it. They didn't get me. Mm -mm. Fuck you, aliens. Shall we get into it? Without further ado, (laughs) our episode on the Flintstones. All right. Betty and Barney Rubble Hill were just your typical American couple in the 1960s. Barney worked at the night shift at the post office, and Betty was a social worker handling statewide child welfare cases. Mm, civil servants. Yeah. The Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where they were very active in their church, and they were community leaders as well. The Hills were members of the NAACP, and Barney sat on the local board of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Hell yeah, dude. The Hills were very involved in the civil rights movement, as they were an interracial couple. Barney was black and Betty was white, and this was something that wasn't really heard of in the 1960s, especially in small-town New Hampshire. Yeah, this was, like, honestly illegal in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. The couple had been married for 16 months and decided to take a spontaneous road trip through Montreal and Niagara Falls because they had not taken a honeymoon, so they considered this trip their delayed honeymoon. The trip was actually so spontaneous that they didn't even have time to go to the bank and grab money before it closed for the weekend, but this didn't stop them. With less than $70 in their pockets, they hit the road. On September 19th, 1961, after spending three days on vacation, Betty and Barney stopped at a diner in Vermont where they ate and had some coffee before they were going to make the long drive back to New Hampshire. Barney's plan was just to drive through because there was a storm brewing from a hurricane coming in, and he thought that if they just kept going with no stopping, they should be able to make it home without too much trouble. Betty and Barney left the diner around 10 p.m., and if they followed the plan and drove through... They should be arriving at home in New Hampshire sometime between 2 and 3 a.m. Around 10.30 p.m., driving along Route 3, almost immediately after getting on the road, Betty spotted something bright in the sky, just below the moon. At first, Betty thought it was a falling star, but then she realized it wasn't acting like a normal falling star. Right, because she saw a falling star and she tried to put it in her pocket and save it for a rainy day, but it wasn't working. So then she knew the jig was up. Oh, yeah. The object would grow bigger and brighter each mile that they drove, and it was moving upwards. Barney, who knew a lot about planes and was also a World War II vet, assured Betty that it was probably just a satellite in the sky. It's so weird to think about satellites in the 1960s. I know. I know there were, <laughs> and I know it wasn't that long ago, and, like, space was a whole thing back then. And like, super Yeah, but cool. it was pretty long ago because interracial couples weren't, like, a thing. So. Yeah, but, like, racism is still extremely rampant. Well, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it doesn't seem like a long time ago, but it does, it seems too long for there to be satellites. Yeah, right? <laughs> Like you didn't have that sort of technology back yeah. then. 
But the light seemed to follow the car, and as Barney drove through the winding mountain roads, the light was always there. It zipped up and down behind the moon and mountains. Just when they thought they finally lost it, it would reappear. Oh, here I am. Were you missing me? That was such a stupid joke, but it's what I pictured. It's like, hello. Hello, little hills. I missed you. The hills wrote this off as just being an optical illusion that the light in the sky couldn't possibly be following their car, right? Well... Betty wanted a closer look, so she asked Barney to pull over. Rookie mistake. The pair also brought their dog, Delzy, with them, Mm. and Betty wanted to pull over to walk him. Aw, what a good excuse. And I'm not really sure what kind of dog it is, but we'll post the picture. There's, like, an adorable picture of Betty and Barney with their dog, and he looks like a little, like, fat dachshund. Yeah, he totally looks like a little sausage dog. Yeah, so, Mm. and maybe mixed with something, but he's very cute. So Barney stops the car at a picnic area just south of Twin Mountain. While walking Delzy, Betty peered through a pair of binoculars at the strange light in the sky. And Betty saw that the light wasn't just a light, that it was actually a craft spinning in the sky. Betty said, if you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. Barney knew she was right because he was a very intelligent man having an IQ of 140 and he knew it was way too quiet to be a helicopter or a plane or even a military jet and he became frightened right away Betty thought she was looking at a UFO because a few years earlier her sister had spotted one in the sky just 70 miles past the diner they stopped at This flying saucer was hovering above them, right above the trees, about 100 feet above them in the sky. I would do one of two things, and I do not know what I would do. I'd either (laughs) shit my pants or wave. Yeah, I'd probably wave. Like, I'd like to think I'd wave and be like, oh my god, mommy, take me home, right? Take me to your later. I'd like to think so, Um, but there's always that chance that you just, like, straight up piss your pants. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, I've never been in this situation, so I can't really say which one I'd be either. Yeah. I'd like to think. I'd like to think. We would both be like, oh, my God, hi. One of us would, I mean, it's just statistics. One of us would probably shit our pants. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Luckily, I always wear brown pants, so if I do shit them... You never know. And I always carry a pair of fresh underwear with me everywhere I go, just in case. Your mom taught you that too? Yes. (laughs) Betty and Barney scooped up Delzy and ran back to their car, where they drove onward towards Franconia Notch, which is a narrow and mountainous road. The hills continued to drive down the mountainous road with no other car around them for miles. And the UFO continued to follow them. Betty noticed that the disc-shaped craft was rotating in the air and bouncing through the night sky. About a mile south of Indian Head, the object made a dive towards their 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air, forcing Barney to slam on the brakes in the middle of the highway. Holy shit, dude. The giant craft hovered in front of the vehicle about 80 to 100 feet away and was so massive that it took up the entire view from their front windshield. Barney decided to get out of the car. Yeah, dude, he's got his baseball bat and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? It is so late at night. I was expecting to be home at three o'clock. This is bullshit. And he starts taking his 
his little um his bat and mm-hmm. he's like hitting hitting it and he's like get out of here get out of here and fight me like a man let's fucking do this and betty was so embarrassed because barney has been known to road rage and it was like <laughs> come on this is our honeymoon guy well he actually did one better than that he grabbed the handgun that he kept under his seat and he got out of the car so you just brought a bat to a gunfight do you think the aliens had bats <laughs> yes yeah for sure baseball bats so barney got out of the car and stood face to face with the giant craft he described it as being as big as a jet but round as a pancake delicious sounds so good barney said on the craft he could spot rows of windows and on the other side of the windows were eight to eleven gray uniformed beings that were staring right back at him giving him the finger and taunting him they had their bats that's right they were doing that thing where you slap it into your like (laughs) palm like come at me fucker (laughs) he said in unison all of the figures except one moved at once to a panel on the back wall of the hallway that barney could see in the front of the craft so there was only one figure left at the window looking back at him. Was this a flash mob? <laughs> Barney tried to move his hand to reach for the pistol he had placed in his pocket, but he was frozen where he stood. A voice, presumably from the figure who, we, who remained front and center, told Barney to put his binoculars down. The voice told Barney, stay where you are and keep looking. Barney said he then saw what looked like bat wings with red lights extending from the sides of the craft, all the while remaining completely silent. Cool. Barney immediately thought, we're getting abducted. So he ran back to his car while the craft moved its position from in front of them to now hovering above them. Barney started the car and tried to speed away from the object. He told Betty to keep an eye on the craft, so Betty rolled down the windows and stuck her head outside, and she noted that the craft was still following them. And she yelled, you'll never catch us, coppers. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. Then the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping and buzzing noises that they said seemed to be bouncing off the trunk of their car. Mm, Techno. Then the car started to vibrate, and the hills felt a tingling sensation. Both Betty and Barney then started to feel tired, and their minds felt dull, and they both lost consciousness. When the couple came to, they realized they had two hours of their life that they could not account for, and their car had traveled 35 miles south down the road. The last thing they both remembered was making a fast, sudden turn in the car, which brought them face to face with a fiery orb in the middle of the road. Do you think that the car also got abducted? I don't know. Or like they pulled them out of the car. I want to say they pulled them out of the car. Because then where would the dog go? With them? Oh, I guess that's true. The dog could, yeah. I mean, I guess they could have Why not? the dog. Yeah. Maybe they just played fetch with him. <gasps> Maybe they gave him little treats. <laughs> Oh, alien treats. Oh, what if it's just like actual begging trips and like they come from outer space? <laughs> so cute. That's the whole reason why they abducted him them in the first place, just to play with the dog. Yeah, man. Sometimes I get aggressive. I'm like, can I pet your dog? And 
no one wants to let me because I've got this crazy-ass look in my eye. So you have to abduct them. Sometimes you have to abduct an entire vehicle full of people just to pet a dog <laughs> just one time. A dog. I support it. The Hills arrived home just as the sun was rising. They said that they felt an odd sensation but could not place exactly what it was. Just high strangeness. And, like, Delcy had, like, the best belly scratches of his life. And every time Betty would try to scratch his belly, he'd roll his eyes at her like, what do you think this is? Amateur (laughs) hour? Come on. So that was a little disappointing. Barney was in a daze, and it seemed like Betty went into survival mode almost immediately. She insisted that the luggage that they had with them be left near the back door and not brought into the rest of the house. She said she was afraid that it was radioactive. Which seems oddly specific. Yeah, why would she just make that assumption? I don't know. Just a vibe she got? Okay. She got her Geiger counter. (laughs) I'm having a vibe that this might be radioactive. Okay, but if you were to say, if you were to, like, be wearing, like, as many crystal necklaces as I am right now, and... I am, actually. You are. You you fully are. (laughs) And you were like, look, I just feel like... Maybe this luggage has, like, bad vibes right now. I just, I don't need it in my life immediately. But bad vibes and radioactive are, like, like you said, oddly specific. Very specific. Maybe vibes are the stupid idiot way, like, how we say radioactive. And, like, radioactive would be, like, the smart person way of saying it. Oh, okay. Like, you're, like, really, like, your aura is radioactive right now. Hmm. I suppose. Anyways, she left her weirdly radioactive, oddly specific luggage at the back door. Betty had been wearing her favorite dress that night, and when she got home, she immediately took it off, put it in a bag, closed the bag up, and put the bag in the back of her closet. Both of the Hills also noted that their watches had stopped working at the exact same time, and they would never ever work again. Barney, like Betty, was dressed in the nines, and he was wearing his nicest leather dress shoes. When he took them off, he noticed that they were scuffed up, like severely scuffed up, something that he would have never, ever let happen. And the weirdest part, though, is that they were scuffed up on the top of the shoe. Oh. Yeah, almost as if, just imagine this, his body had been dragged and his toes scraped against the road or the gravel for a long stretch of time. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So maybe they didn't take the car with. Yeah. When they got home... Barney had carried his binoculars in from the car and placed them on the table, only then noting that the thick leather strap on them was severed, cut clean in half. He couldn't for the life of him remember how this had happened. Betty insisted that the pair take long, hot showers and scrub their skin over and over to remove what she called, quote, possible contamination. Where is she getting this from, though? I don't know, dude. (laughs) I just have a vibe that we're both contaminated with radioactive substances. I just have, like, a vibe. Like, we're both, like, feeling radioactive. Like, you're giving off, like, big, um, like, nuclear power plant vibes right now. Mm, Uh Yeah. Unless they're, like, I don't know, they were, like, glowing or something. Oh, that's so nice. Well, they were just on their honeymoon, so. Mm. After these showers, they sat down to draw what they had seen. They were stuck, though. They had complete mind fog. They tried to piece together the events, but they were unable to. In the car on the way home from the incident, they both remembered hearing loud buzzing noises, and then their minds went completely blank. Giving up, Betty decided to lay down and try to get some sleep. In the meanwhile, Barney had this nagging feeling to check his genitals. 
oh, he he had a vibe. He was mm-hmm. sensing another vibe to trans- sense or to touch his genitals. Yeah, <laughs> like a super sexy vibe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not a radioactive vibe, but a sexy vibe. It's gonna get active in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this was just to make sure, you know, they were there, right? Whatever. Just like a quick little like dick chuck. Count his dick and his yeah. balls. Do I have whiskey dick or do I have Foster's flop? <laughs> just got to make sure. <laughs> Luckily, his dick and balls were still there, but he still felt a weird sensation in the area just above his junk. Mm. Betty woke up abruptly from her sleep with the urge to look at the dress and the shoes that she had taken off and stored in her closet inside that bag. When she pulled out her favorite dress, she noticed that it was torn to high hell. The dress was shredded at the hem, like completely ripped up, and there was a long rip next to the zipper in the back, almost like someone had tried to unzip it but couldn't, so they just ripped it open. Oh. And the lining had been ripped from the hemline straight up to her hip. That seems a little aggressive. Super hot, actually. (laughs) She noted a weird light pink powder all over the dress. She hung the dress outside on their clothesline, placing the shoes underneath it, and all the pink powder blew away into the wind. Where the powder had once been, the dress was eaten away at. And I, just in my head, am picturing sort of like, if you would imagine acid eating in a fabric, like little Mm -hmm. tiny holes in it. So the fabric was eaten away where the powder was and Mm -hmm. once the powder blew off it just kind of like disintegrated yeah oh weird the dress was just absolutely like in tatters where the powder had been like little holes like totally moth eaten looking Mm -hmm. she was completely unable to repair the dress and it had been destroyed but betty didn't know how or why she decided just to throw the dress away no only to pull it out of the garbage moments later and hang it in her closet yes Mm mm-hmm Betty contacted five separate laboratories. I guess laboratories, if you... No, they're laboratories. She contacted five separate laboratories and sent samples of the dress to each, but none were able to ascertain what substance had been on the dress through chemical or forensic analysis. So she just gave up. I I wonder if they still have those samples. Probably not. I wonder if they, like, are eaten away, like gone. You know, by, like, the powder, if, like, they were disintegrating over and over. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if they didn't, I don't know. If they kept them in glass, would they disintegrate the glass? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. What? I'm just a doc. I'm just a medical doctor. Oh, right. That's right. You're just a PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I forgot. I had that wrong. Yeah. You're also a lawyer, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I thought that, that, was, that was it, too. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows I'm a lawyer. I studied rock law. Lawyer up. Yeah. You've been lawyered. If you if you need a lawyer, call me up, okay? Or a doctor. I'm also a medical doctor. But she's not a scientist. Don't even fucking think that I am, because honestly, Mm-mm. that's offensive. Yeah. How, How dare, dare you? How dare you? Time to get three degrees? We think this is. <laughs> Barney noticed that their car had these weird, shiny little concentric circles on the trunk that had not been there the previous day. Of course, being an intelligent person, he decided that he could test it in some sort of way. So he took out a compass and he moved it close to the circles. Why would that be the test that you would want to do? Maybe he had a (laughs) compass in his pocket. I don't know. There's circles, weird markings on my car. Let me put a compass on it. Maybe the circles were compass sized, and it's like you know how uh... cats like to lay on like small things. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I bet my compass would fit perfectly on there. 
this looks like a compass-sized hole. (laughs) So he took his compass and put it on the compass-sized hole, and he noticed that the needle would spin around and around really rapidly. But when he moved the compass away from the circles, the compass would behave normally, and the needle would just drop into place. Hmm. Well, I guess drop into north, wherever north was. (laughs) True north. True north. (laughs) Ten days after they got back from their trip and had their UFO encounter, Betty began having very intense and very vivid dreams. She had these dreams for five nights in a row, and after the fifth night, she'd never had the dream again. This haunted the fuck out of her. She was so upset by what happened in her dreams, and then equally as upset that they just all of a sudden stopped. So she only had them for five five mm-hmm. nights in a five row. Five nights in a row, and then never Nothing. again. Mm-hmm. Wow. She told Barney, but he was more concerned with what his compass was doing at the time. <laughs> Um, actually, he was more conservative than her, and he was afraid that people might talk about them like they were crazy, because mm. people didn't love them anyways, really, yeah. you know, outside of, like, their circle of friends. Right. And Barney was, he was super sympathetic to Betty, and he felt bad for her, but he also wanted her to just drop it. Yeah. So she did, and then she didn't mention her dreams to him again. In November of 1961, Betty became obsessed with remembering her dream. She began trying to write every detail that she possibly could. One dream she recalled was that she and Barney had come across a roadblock and that their car was surrounded by men. In her dream, she fell unconscious and her memory wavered in and out. She then realized that she was being forced to walk by two small men into the forest at night. She saw Barney walking behind her. She called to him, but he could not hear her. Betty said that it seemed that he was sleepwalking or he was in some sort of trance. She described the men as being between five feet and five and a half feet tall. They all wore matching blue uniforms and little matching hats, and they lived in a tree and made cookies. (laughs) I don't think these are aliens we're talking about Oh no, it's so weird. I was going to say, they sound like a really short boy band. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Like a 90s boy band. They did have matching hats. One of the hats was yeah. a Kangol, actually, so that makes total sense. A bu- one of them has to be a bucket hat, too. Yeah, fully a bucket hat. Um, <laughs> one was just like a visor that was upside down and backwards. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they were all powder blue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has to They be. have to match. They all had black hair, dark eyes, large prominent noses, gray skin, bluish lips, and looked vaguely human, but had like big Uncanny Valley vibes. Ooh. And in my mind, when I was doing this research, I was picturing, like, a short version of Handsome Squidward. <laughs> like the filter? It's like that episode. Oh, yeah. But, like, you know, like the Squidward uh-huh. filter. With, like, the chiseled jaws and, like, the <laughs> blue skin and purple lips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a bike if you had, like, a lot of work done. Yeah. yeah. Handsome Squidward. <laughs> handsome Squidward. <laughs> they got abducted by seven to ten handsome Squidwards. So hot. So hot right now. In Betty's dreams, she and Barney were escorted by these handsome Squidwards up a ramp into a classic Mexican hat-style craft. Sombrero. It's technically called a... I know, but every single time, it just makes me mad. Just call it a sombrero. As a member of MUFON, <laughs> um, I refuse to You're call it... You're not a it. member of MUFON, and anyone could be a member of MUFON. Okay, first off, I am a member of MUFON. <laughs> I signed up. Okay. And second, yeah, anyone can be. So, yeah, we're a very inclusive club. Sounds like it. Mexican hat style craft. Okay. (laughs) The craft was made of very shiny metal. 
Once they were inside the craft, they were separated. Betty protested and demanded to be with Barney, but one of the handsome Squidwards, I'm going to call him that from now on, (laughs) that she described as the leader told her that it would, quote, take much longer to conduct the exams if they were taken together, so they had to be in separate rooms. Mm, Okay. I don't know. But there was also, like, a placard on one that said women, and then the other one said men, and she's like, well, I guess. There was, like, only one table in one room, so if they both went into the one room, she would have to wait until Barney was done with his, and then, you know. Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. And they also only had one chair, and that would just be embarrassing if anyone knew, because it was, like, a really cheap chair anyways. Right. It's like, wow, you can't even afford two $5 chairs. Yeah. I feel bad. Do you need money? I feel bad for you. (laughs) Handsome Squidwards. And then another man who looked similar to the others, but just way more handsome Squidward style. Um, He was not identical. He came into the room to examine her. She said that he was very calm and soothing with a pleasant bedside manner. The examiner and the leader spoke to Betty in broken English, and she struggled to understand them. She said that they had this, like, really weird accent that was, like, Mm -hmm. vaguely European. So it was weird. But yeah. they, they were still speaking English, though? Yeah, but it was, like, broken English. Hmm. So they could communicate with her, but it was, like, sort of strange. Maybe it was, like, a combination of every accent on Earth. That makes a lot of sense. Right? Honestly. If they just, like, picked up every dialect. Yeah, like, maybe they're getting, like, all of our radio waves, mm-hmm. and they're just, like, learning everything at once. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of cool. It's actually very cool. Yeah. And then they found our idle handsome Squidward, and they made themselves all look like him because they think that that's our leader they think that that's the uh perfect specimen the uh-huh. human specimen yeah that's what it's we all aspire to be squidward not brad pitt no handsome squidward what is brad pitt but a handsome squidward of the human world exactly that's really all he is everyone is a greater or lesser version of handsome squidward <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say it you're a handsome Squidward. Thanks. You got that jawline, girl. I do. Mm-hmm. I do have a handsome Squidward. You have a handsome Squidward jawline. <laughs> so nice. Thank you. Thank you for commenting on my handsome Squidward-like jawline. You're welcome. It's a compliment that a lot of people <laughs> would like. But few receive. <laughs> so the examiner explained that he would be doing tests on her and Barney. He had her sit in a chair. He cut off a giant chunk of her hair, which is very rude. And then he shone a very bright light onto her so that she couldn't see very well. He then began to examine her eyes, her ears, her mouth, her teeth, her throat, her hands, and he trimmed her fingernails. Well, that was very nice of him. Mm -hmm. He he pushed back the cuticles because she specifically asked that he not cut them off. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And two two layers of clear coat. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. He then scraped skin off of her leg onto what she described as cellophane. He then tested her nervous system with little electrocutions and inserted a long needle through her belly button. She said, Nope, it's disgusting. I don't like anything with having to do with belly buttons. No, leave it alone. Yeah. Don't even don't even know I have one, please. Don't even look at it. Don't even think about it. Unless you think it looks like handsome squidward. (laughs) She said that this made her want to throw up, and then the man explained that they were testing her for pregnancy. Um, okay. So many easier ways. (laughs) Yeah. 
The needle hurt so much that she began to wince in pain. The leader waved his hand in front of her eyes, and her pain went away. Then the examiner left the room and was approached by the leader. The leader told her that a book that she had been admiring could be taken home if she wanted to, but she declined. A book? She has time to be looking at a book right now? She's got a needle in her belly button and she's looking at a book right now? Oh, it hurts. What's that book about? Who's the author on that? <laughs> is, it, is it a limited edition Twilight? <laughs> Stephanie <laughs> Meyer. <laughs> limited edition. God, it hurts. <laughs> is that Midnight Sun that wasn't previously released? But they just released it. After, like, 12 years? Is it a signed copy? Oh, my God, this hurts so much. <laughs> so she asked, um, he asked her if she wanted to take Twilight home. And she was <laughs> the like. first copy. <laughs> the first ever copy. And she said no. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, he did Bad explain. Choice. It was a seven-day rental. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And That's the, a lot of days, though. But the late fees, dude. Like, oh, how do you get it back to him within seven yes. days? How do you... How do you even? I have heard late fees in space are brutal. Yeah, so I think she made a good choice. Yeah. I mean, I could read Twilight in like 24 hours. I could rewrite Twilight right now if I wanted to, word for word. (laughs) (laughs) Then the men led Betty and Barney out of the ship into their car. As Betty recalled from her dream, an argument broke out when they were leaving, with some of the men insisting that they wipe Betty's memory and the leader protesting. It was then that Betty declared, no matter what they did to my memory, I would one day recall the events. So if they were only arguing about Betty's memory, I feel like they wiped Barney. Yeah. Well, that could be why he didn't have any dreams and she did. Mm, Maybe. Or she like recognized that they were talking about it and Mm. then like a little like she had that in her brain so even if they did wipe it she oh, yeah. still could remember that one part yeah i don't know like a little memory like what do they call that a memory yeah. cave or whatever yeah. where it's like one like little something thing that reminds you yeah uh-huh mm-hmm. so the hills reached their car they got in they pet delcy mm-hmm. and they drove away slowly on september 21st 1961 betty called up the pease air force base to report the encounter She was afraid of being labeled a crazy person, so she withheld some of the information. But she told them she got abducted by aliens, so I don't know. (laughs) You guys might think I'm crazy, but hear me out. I think I got abducted by aliens. Okay, and they had a limited edition Twilight, and they're like, no, she's making it up. There's no way. Twilight? What's that? That that doesn't exist. That's not real. Stephanie Meyer will be born for at least 15 more years. Sparkling vampires? Everyone knows vampires don't sparkle unheard of the following day major paul w henderson called the hills residents for a more detailed interview henderson's report dated september 26th determined that the hills had probably misidentified the planet jupiter (laughs) and the planet jupiter was just following them (laughs) yeah i mean it's been it's like a stalker it's like everyone knows like a stage four clinger (laughs) this was later changed to a quote optical condition or inversion, or insufficient data. So they just changed everything instead of, like, saying, oh, it's probably just Jupiter. They're like, no, we don't have enough data, actually, is what he meant to say. The report was sent to Project Blue Book, the Air Force Special UFO Research Project, which we will eventually do an episode on. Yeah. 
Betty then wrote a letter to retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe, who headed a UFO research group called NICAP, which stands for National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, after reading a book of his several days after the incident. He passed the letter on to astronomer named Walter N. Webb, who met with the Hills one month later on October 21st. They conducted a six-hour interview where the Hills told him everything that they remembered. Barney said that he had a, quote, mental block, and he could not remember as much as Betty had. Walter Webb stated that they were telling the truth, and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved. So he was totally like team Betty Barney rubble here. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. It's aliens. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) Fuck yeah. It's like, was Todd there? He's the handsomest Squidward. (laughs) On November 26th, 1961, Betty and Barney were interviewed once again by NICAP members C.D. Jackson and Robert E. Homan. Do you know what C.D. stands for? What does it stand for? Cock (laughs) The Hills said... What should have been a four-hour drive took them seven hours to return home. They told them they couldn't account for the 35 miles they apparently had traveled down U.S. Route 3. They also told them about the orb that they saw, but then they said maybe it could have just been the moon? Or Jupiter? Or, I guess, also Jupiter. (laughs) However, Jackson and Homan told them that it couldn't possibly be the moon because the moon had set earlier in the evening. They suggested that the hills go under hypnosis to try to retrieve the time that they could not account for. Barney was hesitant at first, but thought it might be able to help Betty and would maybe put her mind at ease from all of these wild dreams that she was having. Additionally, the Hills made several trips back to the spot where everything had unfolded, hoping that something was there that would maybe spark any memories that they had from that evening. Mm -hmm. But they weren't able to find the exact spot where they had spotted the orb, but they were able to narrow it down in the area, but nothing really happened. They didn't really spark any memory. Yeah, there was graffiti that said, um, handsome Squidward was W-A-Z. W- W-U-Z or A-Z? W-U-Z, yeah. I believe it was. Um, here, but they, they had no idea what that meant. Couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Squidward also wasn't invented by then. Yeah, they were ahead of their time. They really were. On November 23rd, 1962, Two, the Hills attended a meeting put together by their church where they had guest speaker Captain Ben H. Sweat of the U.S. Air Force. After the event, the Hills approached Captain Sweat and told him about their encounter. I wonder what he was talking about at the church. I know, right? It seems a little weird, but their church had like a lot of speakers I was reading. So maybe that was just a thing that they did. Oh, it's kind of fun. That is sort of fun. Yeah. He was very interested in the fact that they had experienced missing time. The Hills asked if he would hold a hypnosis session with them to try to help them recover their memories. But Captain Sweat denied their request and advised that the Hills seek out a more professional hypnotist as he was just an amateur. He's just like a a recreational hypnotist, you know what I mean? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's just like a regular 
hypnotist, you know? Mm. He's not like a cool hypnotist. No, no, no. They needed like a cool hypnotist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On March 3rd, 1963, the Hills made their first public announcement of what happened to them that night. They met with a group at their church and discussed that they believed they may have been abducted by a UFO. Then, a few months later, on September 7th, 1963, Captain Sweat returned to their church and he gave a lecture on hypnosis. So he leveled up. Level up. He made a protein shake and he leveled up. He stirred it with a really big straw while dancing around his kitchen, too. Oh my god, it makes total sense. (laughs) And then he was able to, like, deliver a lecture, whereas before, he never would have had enough protein in his system Mm -mm. to be able to do that. No. No. When Captain Sweat was done with his lecture, he referred Barney to a psychiatrist named Mr. Stevens. He was a friend of the captain, and he told Barney that he could trust this man. Shouldn't he be Dr. Stevens? You know what? You would think so, but he, in my research, it was Mr. Stevens. Um, I don't know if I would trust a psychiatrist. Well, you know what? Captain Sweat said to trust him, so just trust him, okay? Okay. He's trusted. Okay, I'm sorry. Drink this protein shake. It'll make you feel better. This is delicious. What brand is this? Is there some sort of multi-level marketing that I could get in on and, like, be my own boss and sell this also? If you want to level up, just let me know. Level up. Barney met with Mr. Stevens and asked about hypnosis. So Mr. Stevens then referred Barney to a man named Ben Simon who lived in Boston. In the meantime, the Hills were telling their story to more and more people, even meeting with the two-state UFO study group in Massachusetts. Wait, two-state? Like there were only two states in this group? Yeah, they three would have been too much. Was it New Hampshire and Massachusetts? I don't know. They didn't mention which two (laughs) states it was, so we can speculate. I bet Rhode Island was so jealous. It's like right there. Well, I mean, is Rhode Island even a state? It's like you can no. step on it and you know, it's gone. You know the full name of Rhode Island is um the plantation of Rhode Island. What? And they like just legally changed the name of the state to like get rid of the plantation yeah. of. You probably should have done that a little bit earlier. Yeah, dude. Maybe. <laughs> on December 14th, 1963, the Hills met with hypnotist Ben Simon. Shouldn't he be Dr. Ben Simon? I mean... Everyone's just like a casual hypnotist here. He's a a cool one. That's what they wanted. Like, I'm not like a psychiatrist. Like, I'm not like the man, you know? Like, I didn't go to school for it. I just like, I feel like I can psychiatrize. And like, so (laughs) I do. And I would definitely question someone that said psychiatrize. I psychiatrize and I hypnotize. And that's what I do. Damn, dude. That's a sick pickup line. Yeah. Yeah. So Ben Simon, the psychiatrizer slash hypnotizer, um, (laughs) was under the impression that the encounter was causing Barney a lot of stress. He did not believe that the pair had actually witnessed a UFO, but he believed that they genuinely thought that they had. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. On January 4th, 1964, Ben Simon began his hypnosis sessions with the Hills. He would go on to hypnotize Betty and Barney multiple times until June 6th of 1964. He conducted each session separately so the pair could not feed off of each other's recollections. At the end of each session, he reinstated amnesia. 
And here are some of the things that Ben Simon discovered in his sessions. So Ben started with Barney, and Barney recalled seeing the humanoid figures and was visibly distraught while he was under hypnosis. So Barney told Ben that he was so frightened by the experience that he kept his eyes closed while he was being abducted. Makes sense. If you can't see the aliens, the aliens can't see you. <laughs> Which I don't know. Even if I was so scared, I think me being so scared, would I would have to keep my eyes open. So, um, you know, I'm a huge scaredy cat. Yeah. I, if I'm in any place and it's dark, uh-huh. I will close my eyes so I don't see anything. But then are, don't you feel more scared because then if something nope. comes at you, then it'll, you're basically I dead. won't know. I'm not that scared. Yeah, but you won't know until it grabs you. Can't wait. I hope it kills me. <laughs> I would rather not know it's coming. Oh. I know. It's like not. I'd rather see it to be able to try to fight it off. We're different people. <laughs> I will close my eyes if I'm in a dark room. Or like if I'm in a bathroom <laughs> with the light off, all bets are off, dude. Eyes closed. You, I am not summoning Bloody Mary. Are you joking? Oh, man. Can you imagine? I know you want it. I don't want what it. What about Candyman? Will you summon him? Yeah, he's so hot. <laughs> Ben told Barney that he would not allow him to remember the sessions when he was brought out unless he was certain that he could do so without leaving Barney traumatized. Barney told Ben that the strap of his binoculars had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He told Ben that he drove away from the UFO, but then remembered the urge to drive off of the road and into the woods where he then spotted six men standing in a dirt road. He said the car stalled, and three of the six men approached their car. They told Barney not to fear them, and that the leader told him to close his eyes. Barney told Ben that the beings stared into his eyes, and that they had this mesmerizing effect on him. During his sessions, Barney would scream out, Oh, those eyes. They're in my brain. Did you listen to any of the recording? No. Okay. It's it's very rough. It, like, sounds fucking terrible. Gravelly, and it's like... Yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And it's very hard to, like... I wanted to play some, but you can't really understand what he's saying. Yeah, it would probably just hurt everyone's eardrums. Yeah, but you can hear him scream, and he sounds, like, f- so fucking scared, dude, mm-hmm. when he yells, Oh, those eyes. They're in my brain. It's, like, from, like, a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Yeah. He said, all I can see are these eyes. I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close, pressing against my eyes. Eye to eye contact. Yeah. It's kind of hot. Well, I mean, before he closed his eyes, of course. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is before he just decided yeah. to close his eyes. <laughs> he said, when him and Betty were taken into the craft, they were separated. Okay. He was escorted to a room by three men. And they told him to lie on what he said looked like an examination table. He said a cup-like device was put over his genitals. Mm. And Barney said he believed that they extracted a sperm sample, though he did not experience an orgasm. Um. (laughs) Okay. I mean, he, that's just something that he said. He had to specify. So he didn't at any point yell, I'm coming, I'm coming, go Barney, go Barney. And then he high-fived Barney. one of the Squidwards. Yeah. yeah I feel no. like he definitely did that. 
Well, he left that part out if he remembered it, okay? Yeah, it's like that part in Midsummer where, like, they're all, like, crying together as, like, a community. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all, like, experiencing this, like, oh moment with him. <laughs> it was really nice. He said they then scraped his skin and looked into his ears and his mouth. Then a thin tube was inserted into his butthole, so he got probed. Oh, nice. <laughs> Classic probe situation. Class- they just did that for fun. They didn't even need to. <laughs> He said he could feel someone touching his spine, almost as if they were counting each vertebrae, and he recalled them speaking to each other in a mumbled language that he could really not understand. God damn it, Squidward, you know I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Barney said that they communicated to him through telepathy, or thought transference, because the word telepathy at the time really wasn't a thing. Really? Yeah. I guess so. He then remembered they escorted him back to his car, and he watched the ship leave. And he waved and said, y'all come back now, you hear? Betty's recollections were eerily similar to Barney's, and very much alike the five dreams she had had about the UFO abduction, with slight differences in her capture and release. She recalled the men's physical appearance a bit differently than her dreams as well, But for the most part, Betty and Barney's hypnotic regressions were consistent with one another. Okay, so I feel like that really makes them believable. Yeah. Like Barney, she was emotionally upset and frightened by her memories. Ben even needed to stop one session because she just had tears streaming down her face and she was crying hysterically. Ben told Betty that she should sketch a copy of the star map that she claimed that she saw on the ship in the form of a three-dimensional projection. So sort of like a hologram. She said that she saw this map. So he told her to draw it. She told him that she had seen too many stars on the map to remember the entire thing, but she drew out the stars that she could recall. So she drew 12 big stars connected by lines and then three smaller ones that formed a triangle. Cool. She told Ben that the aliens told her that the solid lines connecting the stars were trade routes and that the dashed lines were the less-than-traveled stars. Okay, so it was like a real map. Yeah, so the dashed lines were, I guess, routes to less-traveled stars. Yeah. After their sessions, Ben concluded that Barney's memory of the UFO abduction may have been inspired by Betty's dreams. Because he still did not believe that aliens were real or that they got abducted at all. And I mean, she did have these dreams and she told him about it, so I guess it is possible. Barney, however, did not agree with that. And he fully believed that he had been abducted by aliens. Even though they disagreed on whether or not the thing had actually happened, they did agree on one thing. That the sessions helped the Hills with their anxiety about the encounter. It does make sense, though, because she told Barney about her dreams. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were, like, buried deep into his subconscious. Yeah. And then he kind of, like, word vomited them when he was under hypnotized. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it would be more compelling if she had had these dreams and never told him. And then they had hip- hypnotized yeah. both of them and bo- they both said the same thing. But because she told him about the dreams, I'm like... Uh, yeah, could be. But I also feel like he left out some details that she mentioned, and if it had mm-hmm. been like a recollection of her dream, mm-hmm. he might have known more. Yeah, 
Very true. Very true. So I don't know. I like to believe. Yeah. You know, I want to believe. Oh, I want to believe too. <laughs> ben Simon wrote an article about the sessions for the journal Psychiatric Opinion and concluded that the case was a singular psychological aberration. After the sessions, the Hills resumed their normal lives. They would talk about the incident with friends and family and anyone who asked them, but they didn't go around seeking attention or going to different UFO groups telling their story. Until October 25th in 1965, when a reporter named John H. Luttrell published a front page story about the case in the Boston Traveler. Wow, okay. So they didn't tell anyone, and then mm -hmm. they're like, hmm, what's a giant newspaper in a major city that we can be on the front page of? No, not quite. Okay. He had apparently been given an audio tape from when the pair gave their lecture to the UFO group, you know, the two-state. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they gave that lecture, apparently it was recorded, and he was given this tape, and he also learned that they had undergone hypnosis therapy, and he had obtained notes from interviews from UFO investigators that they had talked to prior. Oh, okay. So he, like, paparazzi their asses yeah, and, like, took he, information from them without He their basically knowledge. broke their story without them. Whoa. Yeah. So once the story broke, the Hills and their encounter was international news. In 1966... John G. Fuller, with the cooperation from the Hills and Ben Simon, wrote a book about their experience titled The Interrupted Journey, which instantly became a success. And in the years that followed, Betty became a celebrity in the UFO community. Mm, that's sort of fun. Barney, however, died of a cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969, at the age of 46. Betty died of cancer on October 17th, 2004 at the age of 85 and she actually never remarried oh yeah she was space married to one of the squidwards <laughs> that's so really hot nice. so hot all right um can we talk about the star map situation a little bit more yeah let's... okay i am beyond obsessed with this idea yeah. like it's so fucking cool dude so i don't know if you've seen the like the reboot of lost in space not the show but I have seen the movie, uh, Lacey Chabert from Mean Girls. Oh, yeah. Russian yeah. Wieners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Heather Graham. No, that's not what I'm talking about, though. Okay. Um, this is a show. It has uh, Parker Posey in it. She's so good in this, dude. And then, oh, I don't know if you've seen Black Sails, but his name's Toby Stevens, the actor. He was in this, too. So he goes from, like, pirate life to, like, space life. But anyways, <laughs> it's super fucking good. Okay? It's so good. If you guys haven't watched it, Nicole, you should watch it also. Okay. Um. Anyway, so why I'm bringing this up is because there's this part in it where there's, like, a robot, and he pilots this ship, and he's basically, like, standing in this giant 3D star map mm -hmm. and, like, grabs at, like, parts of it, and, like, the ship, like, propels in different directions and shit. It's so fucking cool. So that's mm -hmm. what I was picturing the whole time, and I don't know like obviously what it was like but she's seeing like yeah. 3d star map and that's just like the vibe i got like a, the hologram like if you picture like a hologram yeah yeah when it's like zoom yeah oh my god it was, it's just so cool it's so cool so um highly recommend that show and this is just what i was picturing the whole time so if you have seen it you'll know what i'm thinking anyways back to this star map situation so a woman named marjorie fish from ohio read a book about the hills experience and she was also super intrigued by this star map. 
She was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer, also a cool astronomer. And she was wondering what she could decipher from the information that she had had. So she set to work trying to figure out which star system the aliens had come from. She assumed that one of the 15 large stars described in the map was our sun, and she used that as sort of a jumping off point. She raided the local craft store for all of... No, she didn't. Yeah, dude, for like the balsa wood. No. Um, she got like the styrofoam balls. Definitely all the tempera paint that they had. Mm, yeah. Like 10,000 beads um, and like a ton of different Some like string, string lights for oh, the stars you too. you have to. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. She made a three-dimensional model of all the known sun-like stars and planets thought to be able to support carbon-based life forms according to a 1968 theory. She determined that the only one that seemed to match up to the map that Betty Hill had described was the double star system of Zeta Reticuli. She sent her analysis to an astronomer, William N. Webb, who they spoke with before, remember? Mm. And he agreed with her findings, actually. Walter sent the map to an editor of Astronomy Magazine named Terence Dickinson, who did not agree with Walter or Marjorie, but he decided to publish the information in the magazine for reader feedback. Oh, okay. So he didn't believe it, but was like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Yeah, and he crowdsourced so hard. Okay. And Carl Sagan saw it. Oh, shit. So cool. Uh, and he was like, yeah, no, that's all bullshit. None of that's real. <laughs> well, if he says it, I believe it. Yeah, he even did an episode of Cosmos. Remember that beautiful show? Yeah. Um, in 1980 to basically say that it was all random And that the hill map, which is what they were calling it, Mm -hmm. did not resemble any existing star map. Yeah, I'm going to believe that. So he, like, doubled down and was like, actually, these people are liars. I'm going to believe him. I also believe Carl Sagan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Over Betty Hill. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, from her memory. Like, if you asked me to draw something that I dreamt about last night, I'd be like, I don't know. I could not draw my mom's face (laughs) if you paid me right now. Exactly. <laughs> However, a statistician named David Saunders was like, uh, hold the phone, Sagan. This actually makes perfect sense. Oh. And he believed that Marjorie's map centering on Zeta Reticuli was extremely statistically probable and that it was unlikely that this would have happened by chance to a random group of known stars. So it lined up enough that, like, it actually kind of made sense. But Carl Sagan was like, well, it's not 100%. I'm picturing so. that this, this I'm picturing that this diorama that uh-huh. this school teacher made, this amateur astronomer is like uh-huh. <laughs> passed around from scientists. Yeah. To scientists. Like it's in Carl Sagan's house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're like, hmm, let me that, that looks like hand the me the sun. balsa wood. And oh, yes. Yes. What we have here is correct. Mm-hmm. And it's like painted. There's definitely glitter on it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, dude, for sure. It's like getting passed around. (laughs) Pieces break off. It's like the sisterhood of the traveling diorama. And they glue it back together. (laughs) Everyone writes their memories on it. With like a a little note. Yeah. Attached to it. (laughs) I broke this when I was moving it from the kitchen to the living room. Oh, my God. Sagan, like, side. (laughs) With a little heart. Or a star. It would be a star. It would be a star. Yeah, the A in Sagan. He writes a he writes a little star. It's a I think. star. Mm-hmm. So this was the first time anyone of note actually believed that the hill map could be authentic. Mm. 
And then this was all backed up in the early 1990s when a satellite confirmed that the map was true. What? Mm-hmm. It's still debated whether or not Betty Hill's map is 100% accurate. Mm. And honestly, I feel like we're never going to know. How do they not know? They can't compare Well, we it? don't know all the stars like in existence. But if they think it's this Zeta Retic... Reticuli? Is that how we're saying it? I said it wrong, definitely. So, yeah. Just <laughs> well, own they it, man. think it's that. Uh-huh. Why can't they just compare it and be like, yeah, this matches? Or it doesn't match? I don't know. Okay. I just think it's kind of fun in like a nerdy alien way. And yeah. I like to imagine a bunch of astronomers arguing about a <laughs> diorama. A diorama. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe like one of them breaks it because he's angry. And then it's like later he on at night. broke Saturn, bro. Yeah, but he feels bad. So like later on at night, he glues oh, it back together. Yeah, he has to. <laughs> the hills in their story have been subject of much debate just in general. Because, of course, people don't want to believe in aliens. Or they super want to believe in aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Many psychiatrists have suggested that the abduction was stress-induced and just a hallucination. And just a hallucination brought on by being an interracial couple in 1960s America. What? Stressful times, man. Okay. I feel like that's, like, grasping. Yes, I also. (laughs) Grasping at dioramas. Betty doesn't agree, stating that they were actually quite happy and maybe, you know, don't bring race into this. Yeah, how is this a race issue now? It has to be. Some say that they thought they saw a UFO, but it was actually just a light in the Cannon Mountains that's used to warn planes and keep them from crashing into the high mountainside. So it's like um, like a warning light that flashes and like yeah. whirls around. So it looks like it moves all over. Does it also put you to sleep and make you lose mm-hmm. two hours and yes. makes you travel down the road for 35 miles and not know how? Yes. It also... Oh, um, if it, you look directly in the center of it. There's like little men giving you the finger. <laughs> they all have chiseled jawlines. Gorgeous. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's basically the same thing. Others say that they were probably sleep deprived or maybe it was all based on Betty's dreams, which we brought up earlier. Yeah. Betty thought that everything was real, but some people think that the hypnosis elicited false memories, which it can do. Oh. Sort of like how dreams work in general, where it takes like little bits of your subconscious. Yeah. So you could basically just word vomit like anything out. What you've dreamt and Mm -hmm. say that that actually happened. Oh, wow. Okay. A UFO expert named Robert Schaefer said after seeing that after seeing Betty Hill show her photos at a UFO conference that she had no credibility whatsoever and showed the rantings of a crazy woman. All right, dick. Yeah, kind of a dick move, right? This guy just, honestly, he seemed like he had it out for Betty, like, the whole time. He wrote, like, a 50-page paper trying to discredit Betty in general. He was just jealous that he didn't get abducted. <laughs> yeah, he like, get a fucking hobby or something, bro. Um, well, actually, Benny. There are also some that say that the Hills story is based on a show called The Outer Limits, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with. Oh, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And specifically an episode called The Bolero Shield, which aired two weeks before Barney's hypnosis. The episode showed a gray alien type creature abducting a person. So it's obviously natural to believe that maybe they got that into their subconscious as well and kind of like yeah just let it out yeah. mm-hmm. 
Betty and Barney Hill insisted that they had never, ever seen the show before. And still, there are others that believe that the Hills were subject of an MK Ultra experiment. Yes, I love this. One researcher named Philip Copens said that it's clear that the Hills were being monitored by the U.S. Air Force intelligence before the encounter even took place. Through Major James McDonald, who had befriended them some time earlier, mm-hmm. Betty wrote to the UFO researcher Donald Kehoe, who, despite the fact that he received over 100 letters a day, homed in on this initially unremarkable case. Within 24 hours, Kehoe had arranged for the Hills to be visited by top-level scientists, including C.D. Jackson, Cocktick Jackson, who had previously, <laughs> and definitely not coincidentally, worked on psychological warfare techniques for President Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. Stretching the coincidence far beyond breaking point, Jackson already knew Major McDonald. So it's like this web of people that know each other. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the Hills have access to them immediately. Well, right, because she wrote into that one guy who uh-huh. would get letters all of the time and yep. somehow he picks out her letter. Uh-huh. I mean, she did and like... And contacts her 24 hours after. Well, she sprayed it with perfume. It was in like a beautiful pink envelope. There were hearts all over She sprinkled it. some of that pink powder on it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was actually just pink cocaine. <laughs> He continued, it seems that Betty and Barney Hill were at the center of a web that involved USAF intelligence and top military experts in psychological warfare. The evidence suggests that the Hills were the subject or victim of a psychological experiment. And I think we should do an entire episode on MKUltra because I am fucking obsessed with this idea. I love it too. I Mm -hmm. think that it's completely possible that they... It, this is just a whole like MK Ultra thing. Like maybe they were just tripping balls on LSD. Yeah. And... Oh, for sure, dude. And like the government was just, the government yeah. used to just drug people all the time just to see what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, you get high. That's what happens. Okay. Yeah. You uh, you get high. You get real high. You get so high. Sometimes it's a good trip. Sometimes it's a bad trip. You never know what you're gonna get. Sometimes you see into the future and you know all about Twilight and SpongeBob. So. <laughs> Hey, ma'am. Sometimes you uh, draw up a star map that doesn't exist, but then it somehow matches other stars because there are so many fucking stars in the world that you're probably going to get some that match up. Yeah, like you're not not going to get it. I just drew, too, yeah, right. drew like dots on a sheet of paper. You could probably compare it to some sort of star figuration in the sky. Send it to Sagan. <laughs> Well, we want to know what you think. Um, let us know if you believe that Betty and Barney Hill were abducted or if they made it up. We want to know why you think that. To hear our thoughts, check out the after show with Nick and No on our Patreon. Well, oh, hey, everybody. I know you've just been listening to Quiet Unusual, and now you're like, wait, I want to hear some more stuff. Maybe, like, I don't know, some of the people that also listen to it maybe wrote in some mail. Well, you're in luck, bitch, because here's some listener mail. You know, when I was little, um, I refused to call meatballs meatballs and only would call them shitballs. <laughs> Until I was like 10. <laughs> Did you not like them? I love them. why? No, they're so good. They just looked like little balls of shit. <laughs> All right. So this week's listener mail comes from our friend John L., He says, hi, Nicole and Noel. Hope you're doing well. 
Hi, John L. <laughs> I came across your podcast through the Bad Things of Summer Virtual Podcast Festival. I have been listening to all of your podcasts from the oldest to the newest and have enjoyed each episode. I have to say my favorite is when Noelle does the kid voice. (laughs) It cracks me up every time. I like how chill your podcast is. I finished the doppelganger episode and it actually made me flash back to something that happened to me (gasps) when I was in my teens. Oh my God. Yes. I was hoping someone would give us a doppelganger story. He has a lot of stories too. So we're, yeah. So this is just one of his stories. He's got a couple good ones. So we're definitely going to come back to his stories. Okay. But this is just one, the one that I liked. Okay. So he continues, I have a few other experiences I'm including, but I am not great at telling stories, so I hope these get the story across. I was 16 at the time. I woke up on a Saturday around 9 a.m. I got out of bed, brushed my teeth, and washed my face and put on my glasses. I went to the living room to see my mom on the couch with the TV off. I asked her what she wanted to eat for breakfast. I received no response, so I assumed she fell asleep again. I went back into my room to finish my homework. I hear the sound of my parents' car pulling into the driveway, and I hear two car doors close. (gasps) My parents were talking about if I was up to eat breakfast. The Vietnamese language is very loud and very distinct. The problem at this moment is that they were outside, and I never heard any door in my house open. Dude, goosebumps. I was thinking, holy shit, who the fuck is sitting on the couch? I grabbed my pocket knife and ran outside into the living room. I saw nobody on the couch. I searched the kitchen, the garage, the bedrooms, and the bathroom. Nothing at all. The front door opens, and I see both of my parents bring in some dim sum, delicious more like dim yum (laughs) i asked my mom when she left the house and did she just come back she said yes i circle back and i search every nook and cranny of the house while my parents are setting the food up on the table i found nothing at all i didn't bother telling my parents this because they would think i'm crazy dude this is a wild story what makes me really think is that I never made the attempt to take the four extra steps to see what my mom was doing on the couch. (gasps) I only saw the back of my mom's head. I never even looked at the TV reflection. It was odd that the TV was not on now that I think about it. I have no idea what would have happened if I attempted to look at that thing's face. Dude, I'm so glad you didn't. Yeah. Sorry about the long stories, but I had some time on my hands. I have some stories from my dad when he said he saw UFOs during the Vietnam War. Oh, we want those stories. We want those. Mm -hmm. But maybe I will save that for another time. Wish you all the best. P.S. Nicole, I agree with Noelle on the fact that you shouldn't want paranormal things to happen. That's fucking right, (laughs) dude. They will happen when you least suspect them to happen, but they are quite rare. Try to play defense after you experience it, though. You never know if it's a good ghost or some asshole. Sincerely, John L. Thank you so much for writing in, John L., and also for agreeing with me 100%, because you're right, I am I am correct on this one. I want it so bad, I know, though. you can't want it that bad, I know, dude. I know. 
And then it's going to happen to you and you're going to cry and cry. I know. John has a lot of other really good stories. So we'll probably hear a couple others from him later on. Cool. If you guys have any cool stories about doppelgangers or ghosties or anything else, or you just want to say hi or like tell me that I'm correct and Nicole's wrong, <laughs> um, please write to us. Send us your stories at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. Or, as always, you can slippery slide into our sexy little DMs on all the social means. We're on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter, dude. We've been, like, crazy going on Twitter. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, on Instagram, we're probably on there the most. On Facebook, always super fun. You can also say hi to your racist uncle there while you're on. <laughs> um... Yeah, a lot that's, of those. That's a lot of those it. on Facebook. We also have a Patreon. So if you would like to support the podcast, we have a bunch of different tiers for you to choose from. And we also have a new member that we would like to welcome to our coven. So John S. Welcome to the coven. Welcome. And then one more thing we just want to ask of you, our sweet, sweet friends. If you have a listener segue, something that leads into listener mail, you can say virtually anything. You could just be like, hey, this is listener mail. If you want. If you you know what, (laughs) even if you have something to plug, like, hey, I'm Nicole and I wrote this super cool book. Here's listener mail. Do it, man. Whatever. We're (laughs) here for it. Yep. So you can send those to us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. We need them. We need like 10,000 because otherwise we're going to be forced to do them. <laughs> With and that's our own embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. Well, Noelle has a lot of accents, but I really don't have that that many in my uh, in my body to give you guys. So. What, what if everyone found out the real truth and that I only can do the little kid accent and the German <laughs> accent and you have been doing all of the all other of the ones. Other. This is me talking right now, actually. But this is that's me. I'm Nicole talking right now. And I'm also Nicole. This is. Are we doppelgangers? It's just this is my podcast. You're just a, another face that I add. I've been doing both voices the whole time. Nicole, am I real? <laughs> am I is existence real? Why does life hurt if I'm not even real? <laughs> But yeah, send us listener segues. And remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. And this is the part of the show you've all been waiting mm. for. The part where we give praise to the all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W., a very rare centaur. He is genetically half horse and half man, but he was given the legs of a man and the top half of a man. What? He does love apples, though. And carrots. I've seen him eat so many. Mm, He loves carrots, yes. To Tim M., a werewolf who is so young at heart that every time the full moon shines upon him, he turns into a were-puppy. Mm, adorable. How cute. Mm. Savannah L., rumor has it she has psychic powers. Mm. She knows every time a dairy product expires before she even has to read the label. Oh. Extremely helpful, but... She could do without waking up in the middle of the night to scream, The milk's gone bad! Yes, I, it's very useful, but also has to be quite annoying. Yes, yes. To Samantha P., who once got the taste for human flesh after eating hair in the pasta that she ordered from a restaurant. Mm, gross. 
She's fighting the urge, the hunger, if you will, but can't stop picturing people doused in steak sauce. Mm, A1? Yeah, delicious. A-okay. Lauren R., an undead cowgirl who is said to be able to rustle up any spirit that comes her way with her trusty lasso of goop. Goop? Goop. The lasso is made of sticky goop. So the spirit gets entangled. It's gross, but effective. I mean, it sounds goopy, but good? Goop. To Kaylee O, the inventor of a device that allows her to speak with creatures deep within the depths of the ocean. She was hoping to find a lost civilization, but just gets a lot of gossip about some shark named Susan. Susan is such a bitch. Oh, honestly, she sounds awful. Jess H. had a torrid love affair with Bigfoot, but she broke it off because there was no way the Roomba could keep up with the little tumbleweeds of hair all over their apartment. Mm -mm. It was gross, and she just really couldn't take it anymore. I don't blame her. Basic hygiene, Big Feet. Let's go. To Evan K., who knows the secret of the universe, but he's not telling. Tell us, Evan. Tell us right now. KTT. She just started breeding a rare type of spider that can weave clothing out of their threads. So far, she's been able to make one child's sock and a handkerchief. Mm. But her line of eight-legged woven atelier is coming along nicely. I'd like to see it. It sounds spooky. And Adam Kay, who was kicked out of their snake-handling Pentecostal church for biting one of the snakes... When asked why, Adam simply replied that he had skipped breakfast and had been feeling quite peckish. Well, if you're hungry, I mean, I guess. A man's gotta eat. Christina N. Body swapped with a squirrel just to see what it was like. Unfortunately, their short-term memory has caused them to forget how to change back. That's very unfortunate. Very, very. To Kelsey C., a squirrel who is loving her new human body. She was shocked to find that you can simply buy nuts from the store. Like, as many as you want. There's no limit. Mm -hmm. Literally, no one can tell you to stop buying nuts. It's incredible. She can't believe it. She's so glad someone body swapped with her. Buy the nuts. Buy all of the nuts, Kelsey C. Live. John S., a unicorn farmer... From West Philadelphia, born and raised. In the barnyard is where he spent most of his days. Was he chilling out and maxing and relaxing all cool? Who knows? Nobody knows, honestly, what people do when they're... Yes, I mean... Possibly. Whatever. whatever. Could have happened. Thank you to all our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We are... The lowest of the low. We are practically underground without you. We're not Mm. worthy of your love. And yet, we're so grateful for it. Mm. Yes. With you, we are something. We are not worthy. (sighs) Oh.